إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so in the last lesson we got up to the section where you are sitting in the final part of the prayer and you read all of the du'as and we were explaining that final du'a, the final section of it, وَمِن فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ When you ask Allah to protect you from the fitna of the Dajjal. And we had mentioned that in these parts of the du'a, you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from these various points, to protect you from the punishment of the grave, to protect you from the hellfire, to protect you from the trials of life and death. In the trials of death, we mentioned how a person when he's dying, the shaitan may come to him in the appearance of his father and try and convince him to become a non-Muslim prior to dying. And then also the trial of the Dajjal, the Dajjal that will come at the end of time and will be a test and a trial upon the people. And the Dajjal, we mentioned, will remain upon this earth for 40 days. The first day will be like a year, the second day will be like a month, the third day will be like a week, and the remainder of the days as they are. So all of that added up to how much? It added up to, we did it, we did it. One year, two months and two weeks, approximately. That will be the amount of time that the Dajjal remains upon the earth. So once you finish that final dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhab al-qabr, that final dua, when you've done up to there, what's next? Salam, finish the prayer, that's what everybody says. But, something very important people forget about. Here, when you finish that dua, all that's left is to finish and give salam. But, after finishing that dua, before you give salam, that slot there is one of the slots, one of the opportunities that you should make dua for yourself. Any dua that you want to make, that is one of the slots in the prayer you should make dua. The other one obviously was when you're in sujood, in prostration. That is another great opportunity for dua. And this at the end, before giving salam, you have an opportunity for dua here. Especially imagine you're by yourself. When you're praying by yourself, then you're not waiting for the imam to give the salam. It's not linked to him yourself. So when you finish all your other du'as, you can take an opportunity to make some du'a for yourself, for your parents, for the Muslims, whatever du'a you need to make. Make the du'a at that opportunity, at that slot there. That is one of the times to make the du'a. Then when you've made the du'a, you give the salam and finish. Even when you're in congregation, imagine now you're in congregation, you've read all of your du'as, but the imam is still doing it. He hasn't given salam yet. So you shouldn't just sit there quietly waiting now for the salam. 
use that opportunity to be making dua. Make some dua for yourself, for your parents, for your family, for the Muslims. Until the imam gives salam, then you finish your dua and give salam with him. And that's why, in fact, it mentions that there should never be any time during your prayer when you're just there silently. There shouldn't be any time in your prayer of silence. So even at the end, when you've finished all your du'as, and you're just waiting for the imam now to give the salam, you shouldn't be silent. Use that chance to make du'a. So this is something many people, they forget about. And in fact, one of the mistakes that people make is, that they don't use this opportunity to make du'a. They don't use the opportunity when they're in prostration to make du'a. After they've given the salam, they think it's some type of obligation now to use the opportunity to make du'a after the salam. It is actually not in the sunnah to do it that way. The sunnah is use the opportunity in the prostration, use the opportunity at the end here before giving the salam, after giving the salam, it's allowed to make dua, but it's certainly not a sunnah that you make dua every single prayer after the salam. Anybody wants to claim that is, they need to show an authentic hadith. There isn't authentic hadith for that. There is no authentic hadith that after every prayer the Prophet ﷺ used to make dua with everybody. There isn't. If anybody wants to say there is, then no problem, show us. Bring the evidences, bring the proofs and show us. But otherwise, there is no established, proven hadith, authentic, Bukhari, Muslim, these things. No proven hadith that the Prophet ﷺ used to make dua after every single prayer after the salam. What's proven is that he used to make dua and he used to encourage the people to make the dua in the prayer in prostration and just before you give the salam at the end. They are the opportunities for dua. So then the shaykh says here, ثُمَّ يَدْعُوا لِنَفْسِهِ بِمَا أَحَبَّ مِنْ خَيْرِ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ Then you should make dua for whatever you want uh, in terms of the worldly affairs in the hereafter. And that is proven in a hadith in Sunan An-Nasai, hadith of Abu Huraira. That at the end, before giving the salam, take the opportunity that slot to make some dua. Hadith in Sunan An-Nasai. Also, make dua for the good things Make dua for your parents in the obligatory prayers, the supererogatory prayers. Make dua for the Muslims as a whole. And that is mentioned in Al-Bukhari, hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, that he said, ثُمَّ يَتَخَيَّرُ مِنَ الدُّعَاءَ أَعَجَابُهُ إِلَيْهِ فَيَدْعُ that a person then chooses the most pleasing dua to him. The dua that pleases you, that you want to make something you desire, makes the best dua and then makes that dua. In some of the narrations it mentions, ثُمَّ yatakhayyar That a person chooses, chooses the dua that you want to make, dua for yourself, for your family, for some situation, Whatever dua you need to make. And you make that dua at the end. Also in Sahih Muslim. Also in Abu Dawood. Everywhere the proofs for this. ثُمَّ لِيَتَخَيِّرْ بَعْدُ مِنَ الْمَسْأَلَ مَا شَاءَ Then he chooses from whatever affair that he wants. أو ما أحبه, Or whatever he loves. 
and you make dua about it. So there are narrations everywhere, Muslim, Bukhari, Abu Dawood, Nasai, telling you that at the end there, when you finish all the other duas, the legislated ones, don't give salam straight away, use that opportunity there to make dua. All these hadith everywhere, Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Nasai, make dua in that opportunity there before giving the salam. Before giving the salam. So you're still in prayer. Still in the prayer at the end there. And it's allowed to make dua for worldly things. You can make dua that, Oh Allah, make it easy for me to buy that car I'm looking at. Oh Allah, make it easy for me to refurbish my house. Whatever dua of goodness. As long as it is halal, nothing haram you're making dua for, then you can make that dua. In the prayer, it's permissible. You're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to aid you in your affairs, whatever that affair may be. And of course, your religious affairs, oh Allah, give me knowledge, increase me in knowledge, make me better in my worship. All of these types of du'as, you make them and take that opportunity at the end. Then, yanbaghi lil insan, idha kana yuhibban yad'u Allah, عز وجل أن يجعل دعاءه قبل أن يسلم يعني بعد أن يكمل التشهد وما أمر بنفسه سلم من التعوذ This is what the scholars therefore say that it is appropriate what is appropriate is that you make your dua before giving the salam not what everybody does these days now after you give the salam then everybody makes a dua every single prayer that is not even proven this now what we've said, all those hadith are about making the dua before the final salam. وَبِذَلِكَ نَعْرِفُ أَنَّ مَعْتَادَهُ كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ الْيَوْمِ كُلَّمَا سَلَّمَ مِنَ التَّطَوْعِ ذَهَبَ يَدْعُ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ حَتَّى يَجْعَلَهُ مِنَ الْأُمُورِ الرَّاتِبَةِ وَالسُنَّنِ اللَّازِمَةِ فَهَذَا أَمْرٌ لَا دَلِيلَ عَلَيْهِ وَالسُنَّ إِنَّمَا جَاءَتْ is that when they give the salam and they finish their prayer, then they all make it a habit, as if it's like a sunnah, that you make dua after the prayer. It is not a proven sunnah to make dua after the prayer. That is surprising to people. It's surprising because everybody does it. But remember, just because everybody does something, that isn't a proof for anything. Everybody doing something isn't a proof for anything. Our religion is not based upon what everybody does. Our religion is based upon evidences. If you go to some countries, even in the subcontinental countries, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, those kind of countries, how many people they go to shrines and tombs and graves and do shirk? So many millions. Are we going to say they are right because there are so many millions doing it? Of course not. Even in the Arab countries, everywhere they have shrines and they go around and do tawaf and sujood. Are all of those people correct? Thousands and hundreds and thousands who do it. Even the Shia, look at how many there are in Iran and all those places. How many? Hundreds and thousands, millions. Are they all right then? Is their religion right? So numbers is not a proof. Remember that. There is actually a hadith that tells us that the prophets and messengers used to have very few numbers in fact. Very few numbers. Don't think that the prophets and messengers, everybody used to follow them. So many people used to oppose them. The majority used to oppose them. And only the minority used to follow them. Nuh alayhi salam. Nuh alayhi salam, one of the five best messengers. 
the first messenger, when he was sent, the masses of people opposed him or with him? Opposed him. Only a few were with him. Even his own son opposed him and didn't accept Islam. His own son was drowned in the floods. So don't think that the numbers is an evidence. The Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, He said, I saw all of the previous nations. Allah showed him the previous nations. And he said, I saw a prophet from one of the previous nations, one of the old prophets. And all he had was rahat. Rahat is a number between 3 and 10. That is all he had. All of the da'wah that Prophet had been giving, how many years, who knows. And at the end of it all, there was less than 10 people following him. 10 maximum. But then, in that same hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, وَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَلَيْسَ مَعَهُ إِلَّا الرَّجُلْ وَالرَّجُلَانِ I saw one Prophet from the Prophets of the past, and he never had with him except one or two people. That is all who followed him. That is all who accepted his message. And then in another one it says, وَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَلَيْسَ مَعَهُ أَحَدٍ And I saw a prophet, he didn't have anybody with him. So the prophets and messengers used to have many opposers. It is not a proof to say that whatever the majority are doing, that must be right. Never. That is never an evidence. If it happens to be that the majority are upon the truth, alhamdulillah. But just because somebody is a majority, that in of itself isn't a proof. So just because everybody now has the habit in all the mosques you go, many of the mosques you go, they have the habit after the salam, the dua. Everybody dua. But it is not actually proven. Our, the way we teach you, no, simple. All the things we mention, hadith, hadith everywhere. So now if somebody's going to say it is proven, there is sunnah, you're supposed to do dua collectively, everybody after every prayer, then it's very simple. All you have to do is show us the hadith. Show the hadith and we can look into it. There's no problem in that. Show us the proof, the hadith. Where is it? Nasa'i, Ibn Majah, Tirmidhi. Then we can examine. Have an examination of this hadith. Is it authentic? Is it not authentic? What's the meaning of it? Have you understood it properly? Because all that is known is, there is no proof the Prophet ﷺ used to make congregational dua with everybody after the prayer and then say Ameen and everybody says Ameen and they finish after every prayer. It's not mentioned anywhere. Where are all the hadith? If that was something which used to be done regularly every prayer, it would be everywhere. Bukhari, Muslim, everywhere. All the companions would be saying it. After the prayer, every time we used to make dua, and the Prophet ﷺ used to say this dua and that dua, it would be everywhere. How come not a single hadith in Bukhari or Muslim or Dawood, nowhere. None of the companions remember to tell us that they used to make dua after the prayer. So it's something very important, very simple. If you're going to say it's a sunnah, you have to prove it. That is the way of the religion. That is the way of any act of worship you do. Any act of worship you do, you must prove to us it is an act of worship that is uh, legislated in Islam. You cannot just make it up. You cannot just say there is some narration somewhere our imams told us. No problem. If your imams told you, then bring it to us and show us. So we need proof. And there is no proof for collective dua after the prayer. Then it mentions, فَالدُّعَا بَعْدَ الصَّلَاءَ الْفَرِيضَ أَوِ النَّافِلَ غَيْرْ مَشْرُوعَ so it is not legislated, it is not a sunnah to do the dua after every prayer. Congregationally. By yourself, what about that? 
What about by yourself after every prayer you want to make a dua? Again, you can, but it's not sunnah. Sunnah is, you should be making it before the salam, in the prayer. Why are you going to leave it on purpose until after the salam and do it? When the sunnah tells you, do it before the salam. The sunnah tells you, Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Nasa'i, tells you before you give the salam, do it. Do your dua you want to do. Now in the prayer. So why are you going to oppose the sunnah and not do it then? Finish your prayer and then do it afterwards. You can, it's not haram, but you should not make a habit of it. Because if you make a habit of it, it means you're going to be opposing the sunnah. The habit you should make is, before you finish and give salam, use that slot and that opportunity to make your dua. That's the habit you should make. Every now and again, every now and again, if you do it after the prayer as well, no problem. But you shouldn't make a habit like it's some type of sunnah every time you give salam and then do your dua. So it's not a sunnah to do it in that way. Uh, it mentions in a hadith, Ruya an Nabi Sallam, Annahu Su'il, Ayyud Dua Asma' Qala Jawf al-Layl al-Akhir wa Dubar al-Salawat al-Maktubat. Here you see, this is where people may become confused and this is why some people end up falling into error. Here in the hadith, look what it says. It says that the Prophet ﷺ was asked, which dua is most chance of being answered? Which dua has the most chance of being answered? He says, Prophet ﷺ says, in the last third of the night, when Allah descends in the last third of the night, and dubura salawat al-maktubat. At the end of the obligatory prayers. So now when it says at the end of the obligatory prayers, what does that mean? Does it mean like we've just been saying before you give the salam? Because before you give the salam at that moment there, is that the end of the prayer or not? It is the end of the prayer. After you give salam, that moment now, is that the end of the prayer as well? It is. Just before you give salam, you are now in the end of the prayer. You're about to give salam, it's the end of the prayer. Once you give salam, it is also now the end of the prayer. So what does the hadith mean then? That you should make the dua at the ends of the prayer. These are the types of things that will maybe lead people to believe that you're supposed to do it after the prayer. Some of the scholars did say that. Some of the scholars said at the end of the prayer, the hadith means after the prayer. Once you give the salam, that's the end of the prayer now. Others, they said, no, the end of the prayer means the actual prayer. The end of the prayer. Once you give salam, you're no longer in the prayer. That's after the prayer. The end of the prayer is when you're actually still in the prayer at the end of it. And that is before you give salam. So many of the scholars said that's what it means. And that makes more sense. Because when it says at the end of the prayer, it means at the end of the prayer whilst you're still in the prayer. Once you finish the prayer... You're technically not in the prayer anymore. So it's not the end of the prayer. Now it's after the prayer making dua. So most of the scholars said it means in the prayer at the end. But how do we know for sure? What if somebody says, but there's a possibility it could mean after the salam. Then what you need to do in that case is you combine the sunnah. You look at other narrations as well. You look at other ahadith and you try to get together all of the ahadith to try to come to a conclusion. So now when you get together all of these ahadith, because there are so many, where the companions described how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. So many hadith. 
when you get all of them together, do you find any of them saying that we saw the Prophet ﷺ making dua with us after the prayer? So that becomes now an issue. All of the hadith, when you put them together, you can't find any where the companions are saying that we used to make a dua with the Prophet after the prayer. Which would therefore mean that this hadith, when it says make dua at the ends of the prayers, it therefore means it must have been before the salam in the prayer. If it meant after the salam, then there would be so many other hadith again, telling us that they used to come together and make the congregational dua, and then the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Ameen, it would be everywhere. It isn't. Why isn't it? Then the scholar said, because it must mean the ends of the prayers the Prophet ﷺ meant in the prayer at the end before the salam. That's the only explanation. If it meant after the prayer, there would have been many other companions who would have said, yes, we used to make dua after the prayer together, and we used to sit there together and make the dua together. A prophet used to say, Ameen. None of it. There aren't any narrations. So that's how you can then come to an understanding of the hadith. And that's how the majority of the scholars, that's the conclusion they came to. If you come to the conclusion and say, no, it means after the prayer. The end of the prayer, meaning once you've ended it, given salam, and then you make a dua afterwards. The only problem you have to explain then is, how come none of the companions narrated that? How come none of the companions narrated that they used to sit with the Prophet after the prayer and he used to make dua with them and they used to say Amin together? How come there aren't any narrations then? There aren't any. That's the problem. So that means the dua is before the salam, not in congregation after the salam. Then, okay, you make your actual final salam. How do you make the final salam? So, one to the right, one to the left. That is the common way. Two salams, the taslim, one to the right, one to the left. And you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And it is mentioned in the hadith of Jabir in Muslim that when a person gives that final salam, you place your hands upon your thighs and your salam is one to the right and one to the left. What you actually say can differ. So you can say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, or Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu can be done. That addition can be said also, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. But not always, sometimes you do that, and sometimes just Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And there is even a narration that mentions what? To say just assalamu alaikum. There is one, there is a narration about it as well. There is a hadith. It's not mentioned in this book, I don't think. But there is a narration mentioned by some of the scholars, Shaykh al-Albani in his book, about saying just assalamu alaikum. There is one narration or some narrations about that as well. But common and what people do popular is one to the right and one to the left. And that's no problem that is correct to do it that way. So that is the salam that you give one to the right and one to the left. In the narration of Muslim, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, radiyallahu anhu says, كنت أرى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يسلم عن يمينه وعن يساره حتى أرى بياض خده. This tells you now in this hadith of Muslim, how far you're supposed to bend your neck. Even that detail is there. 
Look at how precise the companions narrated the prayer. They even told us how far the Prophet ﷺ used to bend his head when giving the salam. So don't you think they would have said if they did dua after the prayer? They would have said it. So here in this hadith it says that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas that when he used to give salam to the right and to the left, he used to give it, he used to move his head to the extent they were sitting in the first row. He said, I could see the whiteness of his cheek. So this is the, the blackness of the cheek where the beard is. The whiteness is this part. How is somebody in the first row behind you going to see this part? If you only give salam like that and like that, they're not going to see it. The only way they can see that cheek of yours is if you turn your face to that way, then everybody behind here is going to see the side of your face. And when you turn it that way, all the way facing left, everybody behind you is going to see the side of your face. That's what they said, we could see the side of his face. That must mean that the salam when you give it, you turn your head fully to that way and fully to that way. Not just there and there, but you turn full and then you turn full to the side and to the side so that your cheek is now facing to the back and people can see it. That is how they said we could see the cheek of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning he used to turn his head full that way and full that way. Then after that, now you've given the salam. What is after the prayer? What is now done after the prayer? The adhkar, you do the different supplications, the different adhkar after the prayer. So here now the Shaykh is going to mention some of these adhkar. So there's several. Here a few of them, the Shaykh mentions them. One of them is that you say, Astaghfirullah, how many times? Three times, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. That is mentioned to say that three times. Also in another hadith of Thawban, he says that the Prophet also used to say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta ya dhal jalali wal ikram. That is mentioned as well in Muslim. Uh, also, in the hadith of Al-Mughirah ibn Shu'bah, hadith in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim. He says that the Prophet used to say, La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamdu wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir, Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayt, wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at, wa la yanfa'u dhal jaddi minka al-jadd. There is also a dua which can be done after the prayer, and there are actually several, you'll see them in your book, several du'as which are mentioned, La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamdu wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, la ilaha illallah, wa la na'budu illa iyyah, lahu al-ni'matu wa lahu al-fadlu wa lahu al-thana'u al-hasan, la ilaha illallahu al-mukhlisina lahu al-deena wa lahu kariha al-kafirun. That one is mentioned in Sahih Muslim. So there's a few du'as that are possible and they can be said, after the ending of the prayer, all of them are mentioned in Bukhari, in Muslim, in different books of hadith, various du'as that a person can recite. After those du'as, a common one, which you do is the tasbih. So you say, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, and Allahu Akbar. How many times is the question? So 33 times subhanallah, and then 33 times Alhamdulillah, and then 33 times Allahu Akbar, and then 
the so that's ninety nine so far. Then the one hundredth is gonna be La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la lahu almulku wa lahu alhamdu wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. That makes it one hundred. So that is one possible way of doing it. That is one possible way of doing it. There are other ahadith too. There are other narrations too. There are other possibilities too. That is the common one everybody knows. Subhanallah 33. Alhamdulillah 33. Allahu Akbar 33. And then la ilaha. Finishing it off to make 100. Which other methods are there? Uh-huh. So you can do Subhanallah 33, Alhamdulillah 33, and then Allahu Akbar 34. Done. That's made 100 as well. So that is one possible way to do it too. Then you don't say the La ilaha illallah. Then you just say Allahu Akbar 34. That's done 100. There are other ways too. What else? 10 times each. You're right. It's in Abu Dawood, and Nasai, Ibn Majah. In other books, you can say, Subhanallah 10, Alhamdulillah 10, Allahu Akbar 10. 30 times. In that one, no. You just say, Subhanallah 10, Alhamdulillah 10, Allahu Akbar 10. Well, it's not mentioned here. You wouldn't mention that here. It's not mentioned on top. So there it would just be, Subhanallah 10, Alhamdulillah 10, Allahu Akbar 10. There is one more as well mentioned. One more way of doing it. Mentioned in a tirmidhi and uh, Musnad of Imam Ahmad. Uh-huh. So, there is methods like this. Here the Shaykh mentions a very similar one to that. You can say, Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, 25 times. And all of that will end up being 100. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. 25 times each ends up making 100. Subhanallah 25, alhamdulillah 25, la ilaha illallah 25, allahu akbar 25, 100 altogether. And there are some others too. How you mentioned, some of those are mentioned as well. There are some other narrations. So it depends on any of them. All of these are okay. All of them are right. These are all in Bukhari, Muslim, different books. It's not a case of one of them being right and others being wrong. All of these methods are right. So you could do any one of these methods. Imagine one day you were in a rush something. You could do the 10, 10, 10 one. Another time when you have time, do the 33, 33 one. So it's possible to do it. One thing the scholars do mention though, you have to be careful of, when you're doing it, you have to do it carefully so you pronounce the words properly. Don't just do subhanallah, that's nothing. Subhanallah, 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 properly. Not subhanallah, 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 and you don't know what you're saying. That's wrong. If you're going to do it like that, just choose the small one then. 10, 10, 10 and do it properly. Instead of trying to do the hundred one and you're not even saying anything. So you do it slowly and properly. Slowly and properly. Also, how do you count? That's the last thing to mention. How? Three on each finger. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. That is one method mentioned by some of the scholars. That is one method. There's another method too. 
So one per finger. Subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. And you close your hand. Then you start opening it up. Subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. Now you've done ten. Then you start closing again. Subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. Fifteen. Then you start opening again. Closing again. So one per finger. That is uh, mentioned in Sunan Nabi Dawood, I think. Sunan Nabi Dawood and some other uh, books as well, from the hadith books, about closing your hand one finger at a time, then opening, then closing, one per finger. So that is possible too. That is possible too. And the three per finger is mentioned by some scholars as well, Sheikh bin Baz, I believe, and some other scholars. They mentioned about the three per finger too. So that is about the adhkar after the dua. Then, now we've completed the description of the prayer. What we do need to know before moving on to the next section, the final chapter of the book, is to summarize all of that into the pillars of the prayer and the obligations of the prayer. Because the prayer has arkan and it has wajibat and it has sunan. Arkan, the obligatory acts of the prayer. Meaning if you miss one of the arkan, your prayer is invalid. You got to repeat it. Or you got to repeat that raka'ah at least. Wajibat, if you miss one of those, that's lesser than the arkan. If you miss a wajib, then your prayer is valid, but you do have to do the prostration of forgetfulness. The sunnah acts, even if you forget them, your prayer is still valid, you don't have to do anything. So the key thing is to know what are these pillars and what are these obligations. Because pillars and obligations are a necessity in the prayer. So, pillars of the prayer first. Pillars of the prayer first. The first pillar is what then? Think now from the beginning of the prayer, what's the first pillar? To stand up? Absolutely. Standing up. When you're going to pray, what's the first thing you do? You stand up facing the Qibla. Standing to pray is a pillar. You're only allowed to sit if you have some excuse. Unless it's a supererogatory prayer. The optional prayers is different. Obligatory prayers, Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. In those prayers, you have to stand and pray. It's, an, it's a, a pillar. You can only sit if you have some medical reason or old age or weakness or those things. But otherwise, it's a pillar to stand. So that's number one. Then, what's the proof by the way? Proof for everything. Proof there's a hadith again. Uh, and in fact, there's an ayah first in the Quran that tells us you have to stand. حَافِظُوا عَلَى صَلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Preserve your prayers, guard over your prayers, and especially the middle prayer. And stand to your Lord in that submission, in that prayer. Stand. In the Quran it tells you to stand in the prayer. Also in the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein, which is in Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ said, when you pray, صَلِّ قَائِمًا Pray standing up. فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَقَاعِدًا If you can't, then sitting down. فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَعَلَى جَنْبٍ And if you can't even sit and pray, then pray lying down. What if you can't even pray lying down? You're completely paralyzed. Imagine something happens, some accident, لَا قَدَّرَ اللَّهِ You become completely paralyzed. All your body, you can't move anything. How are you going to pray even lying down? With your eyes. Even if you're completely paralyzed with your eyes, you can't move any part of your body, then just with your eyes, when you're going to do ruku'ah, take your eyes a bit down. When you're going to do sujood, take your eyes more down. 
Pray with your eyes. You can't move your body, nothing. Pray with your eyes. So, standing is number one. Number two. Takbiratul Ihram. Allahu Akbar. To start the prayer. That first Takbiratul Ihram is a pillar. So that's number two. Number three. Al-Fatiha. You have to recite Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha is a pillar of the prayer. Number four. The Ruku'ah. The Ruku'ah is the next pillar of the prayer. The Ruku'ah must be done. Again in the Quran. Ya ayyuhilladhina amanurka'u. Oh, you who believe, bow, irka'u. Command is in the Quran to do that. And in the hadith, thummarka' hatta tatma inna raki'ah. Then go into the ruku' until you are settled in the ruku' as the hadith mentioned. So that is number four. Number five, sujood. If you go to sujood straight away, standing up after ruku' is a pillar. That's a pillar of the prayer. That's why we were talking about it before. It's such a big mistake when people just just do this and go straight to prostration. Your prayer is invalid. Many scholars, they say your prayer is invalid like that. Coming out of the ruku'a properly and standing up properly is a rukan. To come out and stand properly, then go down into sujood. So many people make a mistake on that part. They come out of the ruku'a and straight back down again. They never even stood up properly. Just came up a little bit, Got the head up a little bit, back up a little bit, straight down again. You missed the rukan. Big problem that one. So that is a, a, a pillar also. Number five. Number six then is the sujood, the prostration. Number seven, again another big problem one. Sitting up. When you do your first prostration, then you come up and you sit. Then you go down and do the second one. People don't sit properly there. They come out of the prostration, halfway up, straight back down again. They've missed the sitting bit there. You have to come out of prostration, sit. Then Allahu Akbar and go into the second prostration. That sitting in between is a pillar. Again, another big problem for people. Then the eighth one is the second prostration. The second prostration is a pillar too. You can't just do one prostration and get up. The raka'ah won't count. Second prostration is a pillar too. Then after that, what's the ninth pillar going to be? That's counted already. We did it before standing up. All the way you do everything same. Now the next part's going to be the tashahud. Which tashahud? The second one. The last one. The last tashahud. If you're praying Fajr, there is only one anyway. That's the last one. If you're praying Maghrib and Isha or Asr or Dhuhr, there's two tashahuds. The first one, we're not talking about that one. The second one at the end, that's a rukan. You can't miss that one. Second one at the end is a rukan. Tenth pillar is connected to that. Sitting down for the final tashahud. They are connected almost the same. You have to sit down and you have to do the tashahud. Meaning imagine somebody sat down, they did that pillar, but they forgot to do the actual tashahud. So both of them are mentioned separately. Sit down and do the tashahud. Each one is a pillar. Then number eleven. That's one of them. Having ease and being settled in all of those positions. So you can't just flick up and flick down and do everything quickly. Calmly doing every position and having 
settlement, being settled in every position calmly, moving calmly, moving calmly. That's a pillar of the prayer. So when people pray like this, up and down, up and down, up and down, they've missed a pillar of the prayer. Even if they do everything, they actually do stand up and they do everything else, but they're not praying properly. Properly, you're supposed to be settled and calm in every position. Pray properly, calm and settled in every position. That's a pillar. Also, number 12 then. The correct order. You have to pray the prayer in that correct order. That's a pillar. So if you do the sajda first, then the ruku'ah, wrong. So it must be in the right order. Then the last pillar you can say is the taslim. You got to give that final salam. That is also a pillar. So these are pillars of the prayer that you must do. If you miss any of these, your prayer is invalid. That's with the prostration, in the prostration. If you don't do the seven limbs like we said, it will be invalid. You got to put those seven limbs down. Then the obligations. What are the obligations of the prayer then? The first takbir was pillar. All of the other takbirs in the prayer are wajibs. All of the other takbirs. So first takbir, Allahu Akbar. When's your next takbir going to come now? When you go into ruku' that takbir is a wajib. Then Sami'Allahu liman hamida, then takbir to go into, that's wajib. All of those other takbirs are wajibs. The first one is pillar. If you miss the first one, your prayer is invalid. You were never praying, never started your prayer. But if you miss any of these others, you forget, you just go into ruku' and you forget to say the Allahu Akbar. Then at the end you can do your prostration forgetfulness. All these others are uh, wajibat, all these other takbirat. If you miss any of those other takbirat, then like we said, you can just do the prostration of forgetfulness, and your prayer will still be valid. There are some additional takbirat, more than those in certain prayers. Like for example, the Eid prayer. In the Eid prayer, you have your first one of course saying, then after that you have the extra six. And in the second raka'ah, the extra five. Well, what's the ruling on those ones? Wajibat as well or not? They are only sunnah actually. So imagine now the imam comes on Eid day, and he's going to pray Eid prayer with you, starts Allahu Akbar in the habit, forgets and just starts, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, forgets the takbirat. No problem, your Eid prayer is valid. You don't even have to do prostration forgetfulness. Because those extra takbirs are, are sunnah for Eid. They are sunnah for Eid. Do the extra takbirat. They are not obligatory, they're not wajib, they're not pillars. They are sunnah for Eid. So you, gotta, you should do them. But if you forget, your prayer is valid. No prostration forgetfulness needed, nothing. It's valid because they are sunnah for Eid, not wajib for Eid. That's uh, important to know as well. Also in the janazah prayer. In the janazah, you have the takbirat in the middle. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The four takbirat. Imagine you pray the janazah prayer and you forget to do the takbirat there. Those ones, what's the ruling on those? Are they wajib or not? Sunnah, the other way. They're pillars. In the janazah prayer, you have to do those takbirat. They are pillars in the janazah prayer. 
So that, that's how the janazah prayer is prayed. You have to have those takbirat and you read the parts in between. So you have to do those parts. Otherwise, how do you separate? You're supposed to do fatiha, then takbir. Then you do the dua, takbir, your own dua. You do all these things in the takbirs. So you have to have those in the janazah prayer. They are kan, pillars. What about, ah, what about this one? Imagine you walk into the mosque. And when you walk in, you're a bit late. They are already in ruku'ah. They are in ruku'ah as you walk in. So now you walk in, you join the line, what are you going to do? You're going to say your first takbir to start the prayer, Allahu Akbar, and then what? Then you're going to ruku'ah. Then you're going to do Allahu Akbar again, and then going to ruku'ah. Huh? Normally in the prayer, when you finish your fatiha and everything, what do you do? Allahu Akbar, then you go into ruku'ah. So there is a wajib, that one's a wajib, remember we said. There is a wajib takbir to go into ruku'ah. So now in that situation, when you come, the first, obviously you got to say Allahu Akbar to start. Takbir to ihram Then you should say another one, the wajib one to go into ruku'ah. Unless... Unless, Sheikh bin Baz and some of the scholars said, if you're very late and you think, you get the feeling that the imam is right now about to say, Sami Allah, you think he's about to say it right now. In that case, you just say, Takbiratul Ihram, Allahu Akbar, and just go into Ruku'ah. Because catching the, the Raka'ah is more important. So in that case, the second one is dropped. Because the second one, it's included within the first one. Which one is bigger? The Rukun or the Wajib? The Rukun. So in that case, when you say Allahu Akbar, your wajib one is included within the rukun one anyway. So if you haven't got time, the imam's about to say, Sami Allah, and come out, just do one and go straight into ruku'ah. But imagine you walk in and you hear them just now saying Allahu Akbar and going into ruku'ah. So now you know you got time. You can say your first one, you can say your second one and go in, okay, do that then. But if you think you're very late and he's about to come out, just say one and go straight in and it's okay. So that's about the other takbirat. Huh? Now it's a mistake. We mentioned uh, about the running. You don't hasten to the prayer like that. That one for when you run? In the yeah, yeah. we discussed this before, not? We did it once before in the lesson. It, um, difference of opinion. Some scholars they say you have to have fatiha. If you catch in the ruku, you've missed the rukun fatiha. So some scholars say no, that rakaat doesn't count. But many of them say it counts. Many of the opinion of the scholars, it counts, and the evidence was what we did it. Hadith of who? Abu Bakra. Not Abu Bakra Siddiq, a different one, Abu Bakra. One time he came to the mosque late, he came when? When they were in Ruku'ah. So he caught them in the Ruku'ah. And he finished the prayer. At the end, the Prophet ﷺ, did he tell him to make that raka'ah up or not? No. Didn't tell him, which means he caught it, and it, it was valid. If it wasn't valid, the Prophet would have said to him, get up and do that one raka'ah, you, you came late. In the ruku'ah, it doesn't count. He didn't say to him, which means it counts. So the majority say it counts. But some of them say, no, you have to have fatiha, so you have to repeat that one. That's an opinion of some of the scholars. But in an instance where you say the first takbirat, and then you're about to go for the uh, ruku'ah. And you, Imam says, Sami Allahu liman hamida. Yeah. Too late then. Then you're too late. If you say, if you come now, you say, Allahu Akbar, and you're going, and you hear, Sami Allah, as you're going, you can't just quickly go now and say, okay, I caught it, too late. If the Imam says, Sami Allah, and you haven't gone in yet, 
too late, finished. That raka'ah, you're going to have to do it again. You have to get into ruku'ah, catch it before he says, Sami'allahu liman hamidah. No, if your wudu is broken, then it doesn't matter. If your wudu is broken, it's broken. You have to leave the prayer. Just leave the prayer. You can go. Either, it doesn't make a difference there. Your wudu is broken, you're going to leave the prayer. Your prayer is finished, then it's gone. Whether you give the salam, that salam, that, it doesn't even matter. Your wudu has gone. Your prayer is invalid now. So it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference there. Now you just leave and you make your wudu. And you have to leave as well. If your wudu breaks in the prayer, you can't carry on. It's a sin to carry on. People might be embarrassed. I don't want to walk out the congregation. Doesn't matter. This is religion. It's Islam. There's a narration of Umar ibn Khattab. It happened to Umar ibn Khattab once. There's even a narration, Umar ibn Khattab on the member giving khutbah and it happened to him. That is wudu broke. There's no problem. It's the religion. If it happens, it happens. You walk out, you make wudu and you come back and carry on. If you carry on praying, scholars say you're sinning. Because you know the condition is you're supposed to have wudu when you pray. You know your wudu's gone now. But just because of embarrassment, you're carrying on praying. That's a sin then. Praying without wudu on purpose. So if that breaks, you should go and make your wudu and come back. We'll have to round off there tonight then. We'll carry on with the, the next chapter, next section, next time, inshallah, next week. Next week, straight after Maghrib again then. Hmm. No, you don't fast. If they fall on those days, you don't fast. The Ayyamul Tashriq in the Hadith, it says, Ayyamul Akli wa Shurq. They are days of eating and drinking. And it's not allowed to fast on those days. What about if you fast or is it forbidden not to? It's forbidden. It's forbidden, not to. forbidden to fast on Eid day, forbidden to fast on those days. You don't fast on those days? In three days, Ayyamul Tashriq. Regardless, you don't fast those days. Those are prohibitions. So you shouldn't fast those days. It's like Eid. What if Eid came on a Monday? You're going to fast? Haram, haram, you can't do it. Is there any proof that says that, you know, after the prayer, the Pussy prayer that the Prophet raised the hands? Is there anything that, is there any proof of that? No, I told, the, whole, the whole lesson we've been talking about that. <laughs> Where have you been? Some, some people say you could do it, but is there proof that the Prophet did it though? That's what we said, there isn't. There isn't, no. no there is no, I don't know any hadith that any companions used to say. That after the prayer, the Prophet used to raise his hands and we used to raise our hands and we used to say, I mean, if there is, you need to show us. I don't know. Individually, it's possible. Yes, individually possible. Individually, you can. But you shouldn't make a habit. The sunnah is not to make a habit even individually. Because the habit you should make is make your dua in the prayer. Sometimes afterwards, if you raise your hands, no problem. But if you do it every prayer, individually even, then that becomes a bid'ah too. If you make it every prayer, because that's not what the Prophet used to do. He never used to raise his hand even individually every prayer. The Sahaba never used to raise it even individually every prayer. Because they used to follow the Sunnah and make the dua in the prayer. So sometimes you can, but you shouldn't make a habit of it. You know, you know when you say sometimes you can, but the Prophet never did it, though. There's not even one occasion now. Yeah, because sometimes it's a general ruling of dua. When you're generally making dua, then you raise your hands in dua. So occasionally if you did it, it's okay. But you don't make a Sunnah of it. General ruling, really you can do it sometimes, but you don't make a sunnah of it. Is there any evidence to say that the Prophet Yeah, that's the one about when you say Assalamu alaikum. There are some narrations about saying when you you finish the prayer, just Assalamu alaikum, and that's it. Finish, get up. Assalamu alaikum to the right, and that's it. Because that's there is. Prayer, and the left is not the one 
Yeah, because your prayer finishes with the right-hand side one. When you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, your prayer has finished now. You're out of your prayer. The second one now is the, the, the secondary one that goes with it. But that first one is the, the rukah now you're finishing your prayer with it. Is there any evidence to say when you give salams, is there, obviously, is, I mean, is there, do you say it to the next person next to you? Or is it, is it, no, this is, is a bid'ah. This, this, this one when everybody finishes the prayer and all of a sudden they want to start giving you handshakes, that's no sunnah. There's no hadith anything about that. When everybody starts giving handshakes to everybody on their right and on their left. That's not the salam. That's not what it is. When you say assalamu alaikum, it's not you're giving handshakes to the people. This is to finish your prayer. So that's not a sunnah. That's people have made it up. I don't know where fabricated. Some people say you give salam to the angels on your right hand side and your left hand side. Uh, with all these things, like we said, you have to give us proof. Then, if there's a hadith, you can show us. Fair enough. If there isn't, then we can't. You know, you know what, brother? Yeah, he asked me. Was it 15, 20, 20 minutes away from the masjid? Does he have to come to every prayer? No. In the olden days, when they used to make adhan. The Adhan used to reach up to about four kilometers, which is how much? Two, two and a half miles, two miles. So if you live within that kind of distance, you should go to the mosque. So in 15, 20 minutes, walk half an hour walk, you know, you have to come. No, I mean, for a half an hour walk, it's, it's getting on to about more than uh, two miles, two miles-ish. So if it's that kind of distance, then you may be excused. If it's that far walking distance. But within a, a couple of miles... Normally two miles, three miles, even a couple of miles, you should go to the mosque at least. You know, like sometimes you say if you're very close and you don't go to the mosque, you lose your mind, you're not valid? Some scholars say your prayer is not valid. But most of them say it will still be valid, but it's not the, not the right thing. You should pray in jama'ah. Hmm. Upon the sunnah, it depends. There are certain types of people who you can still pray behind. The only ones that you don't pray behind are the, like the, the mushrik Sufis. You know, Ya Allah, Ya Muhammad, and the Ya Madad, and all those kind of things. You can't pray in those mosques, those kind of people. But others, who are just, you know, they might not be upon sunnah, they have some bid'ah, but it's not bid'ah, which is mukaffira like that. It's not like shirk and things. Then you can, it's allowed to pray, you should pray. Pray your jama'ah and just go. Just don't attend the, the lessons where they tell you to do all the things without any sunnah, no hadith, nothing. You know, when you, before you finish your prayer... Scholars have said it's allowed to make dua in your own language if you can't do it in Arabic. You should try to learn the duas in Arabic. If you can't, you're allowed to make it in your own language, in the prayer even, in prostration even. All right, we'll have to conclude there next week straight after Maghrib, inshallah. So that'll be, uh, well, yeah, 7.30, 7.15, whenever it is, straight after. Go on. No, if the iqamah has been called. No, I mean, you know, once the iqamah has been called, imagine you walk into the mosque and you're praying nafal. And then the iqamah gets called for the fard. Scholars say, if you're in your second rak'ah of your nafal one, just finish it. Second rak'ah, you can quickly finish and still catch them. He's going to take a, a, a small time to finish the iqamah. The, I mean, he, I noticed today here in the mosque, they give the iqamah, there's about half a second straight away, Allahu Akbar. Really, the sunnah is once the iqamah finishes, what should you do? The imam is supposed to check the rows and everything. We're going to get to that now. The next chapter, it tells you that. The sunnah is when the iqamah is finished, the prayer should not start until the imam makes sure all the rows are straight. That's the imam's responsibility, to check all the rows are straight. So you see, there's supposed to be time after the iqamah. There's supposed to be... There's even a narration, we're going to do it. Once Uthman, Uthman radiallahu anhu, the iqamah was done, he was leading the prayer. I think it was Uthman, we'll get to it. The iqamah was done... And he told some people, a couple of them, go check all of the rows. He gave the responsibility to a couple of them, go check the rows. One of the uh, 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 salaf, he says, I was talking to Uthman, asking him questions. 
about some business dealings, some this, some that, asking him lots of questions, talking to him for ages, until those men finally finished, then Uthman said, okay, now let's pray. So after the iqamah, you're supposed to check the rows properly first. So if you're in the second rak'ah, uh, finish it. If you're in the first one, then you just finish it. And the salam thing, you can give a salam and finish it. It's not a problem. You're going to break off your prayer, whatever happens. No, nothing you don't No, how can you? The iqamah, when you hear the iqamah, that's when everybody is supposed to stand up. So then after the iqamah, you straighten the rose. Hmm.